How exciting this day is. Always is, isn't it? Easter morning. The words I'd like to read to you come from John chapter 20. And uh, the last two verses of that chapter, Anthony's already read it for us, but I'll take you back to the last two verses, verse number 30 and verse number 31. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which were not written in this book. But these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son the one you loved so well, you loved us here in this world and you gave your only begotten Son. Scripture says that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What you have given to us through our Savior Jesus Christ is, is a gift that our words cannot express enough thanks for. Eternal life because Christ died and rose again. In that, we anchor our hope and our faith. In Him, we believe. And we thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word and the privilege to join together today and rejoice in the good news. Again, as we've heard it before, but we rejoice. Thank you, Lord, for all that you have done. Now challenge us with your word and draw us close to yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we have seen the resurrection of Christ dramatized in movies, some better than others. We have uh, heard countless sermons on Easter morning. I don't know how many you're up to, but uh, we could start counting the number of times we've attended Easter morning services. For some, it, they think it, uh, it, it seems more real if we're earlier in the morning. 8 o'clock seem more real than 10.45? Maybe if we moved it up to 7 next year, will that feel more real for some people? It, it's kind of interesting how we, we, we would use drama or we would use uh, even the expressions of a sermon or songs or even uh, the time of day to try to make something more real. We do our best sometimes to, to express something that we're trying to capture about Easter and, and, and so there's excitement and there's an element of expectation and uh, there's a surprise of seeing Jesus when he rose from the dead. And, and church dramas have aimed at this for years, trying to portray that. I recall quite a number of years ago going to a rather large church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, to watch an uh, Easter program. And it was one of those uh, programs where uh, they made it huge. The stage, the music, the, the 
artworks, the props, and everything is as realistic as, as as big as life as you can get it. Uh, if it was a Christmas program, they would have had live camel coming right down the aisle. That kind of a church. We've never done that here, have we? Anything close to that? They, they, it was huge. You, you, you might have even seen one yourself, so you understand the concept of what they were trying to portray. I remember seeing the stage where I sat uh, halfway back in this rather large auditorium, and I'm watching the stage, and, and the lighting was just so. And it was depicting that uh, early morning on Easter Sunday, and uh, the lighting left darkness all across the stage and in the props which were trees and bushes and things you you can see a, a group of women walking their way down this path with a small light and, and it was uh, um, we all, all waited for that in anticipation and all of a sudden uh, the speaker started this roar the sound of an earthquake and I think we've heard a few of those but this roar starts coming through the speakers and, and uh, the, the dry ice that they had set up, they put the fans next to and it starts to create this, this fog across the stage. And then suddenly the stone snaps to the side where the tomb was and this bright light comes beaming out of the entrance. And you can see the figure of the one portraying Jesus coming out into the view of the audience and everyone applauded. You've been there before? This, all the scene was set up so that it was so exciting to, to, to watch. And, and I thought, wouldn't it be interesting, if it were possible, of course, to have invited Peter, James, and John to sit in and watch with us. For them to have seen that, that event. And, and maybe they would be thinking, well, I don't remember it looked quite like that. But then, to tell the truth, they wouldn't remember it at all. You know why? They weren't there. They didn't go to the tomb that morning to see the resurrection of Christ. They went there after he was already risen. So they missed all the drama, didn't they? Hmm. Simply put, they did not believe that Jesus would rise from the dead. According to Luke, in his Gospel, chapter 24, verse 10 and 11, when the, the ladies, Mary Magdalene and, and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the, the other women had, had been to the tomb and they were running back to tell the disciples, about these things. Verse 11 says, And these words appeared to them, the disciples, as nonsense. And they would not believe them. That's their first response to the Easter message. They thought it was nonsense, and they would not believe it. I have a feeling, perhaps, that if you or I were disciples we would have acted differently, wouldn't we? There's no sense probably in criticizing these uh, uh, who did not have belief. But we tend to think maybe we would have been better. We would have done 
something uh, that would resemble belief. After all, if one of us ladies, perhaps one of the ladies here would, would have been Eve, you would have done it different, wouldn't you? If you were an Israelite, you wouldn't have complained in the wilderness, would you? If you were uh, one of the religious leaders, of course you would have believed what he had said, who he was, and you would not have demanded his crucifixion, would you? I guess the advantage we have is a record. We have a record of all these things. We have the advantage of seeing the words in print. They were supposed to remember, right? They were supposed to remember. And I don't know how many times, I didn't go and count them. I'm sure somebody has. How many times Jesus told his disciples that he was going to die? How many times he specifically said it would be in Jerusalem? I didn't count the number of times he told them as well that he would rise from the dead on the third day. You don't, do know he said that, didn't he? He told them so. Matter of fact, they had heard it just that evening before he was crucified. As they were heading out of the upper room and into the garden where he would pray, there he would be arrested, he had said... After I rise again, I'll go before you into Galilee. That was just before he died on the cross. How many times did they see Jesus raise somebody from the dead? Jairus' daughter. Once they went into a town, the city of Nain, and and as they were coming into the the main section, perhaps, of the town on the streets there, a funeral procession was going by. And Jesus stopped it. Touched the, the coffin that was carrying the young man, and he came back to life. Lazarus. How more dramatic do you need it? Lazarus, standing in the face of a graveyard and yelling, Lazarus, come forth. And he who was dead came out of that tomb. He says, untie him. How many times does it take to convince somebody that Jesus has the power over death? How many times does it take Of course, we would have been different, right? We would have believed. We would have believed. What I just read to you in John chapter 20, verse 30, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which were not written in this book. Now, the Bible is full of signs. You know that. Signs are the same word in the Greek for miracles. When we translate it, even when I put it on the quizzes that my students take, if they put signs, it's right. If they put miracles, it's right. It's the same word in the Greek for signs or miracles. Now, that would simply say that signs are nothing less than a miracle. A sign has to be a miracle. For some reason, uh, we need those. Those miracles to, to make something more believable. 
Isn't that funny? We want something unbelievable to anchor more belief. Kind of an interesting contradiction, even in its idea. But it's been that way a long time. Back in the Old Testament, Moses was told one day standing at a burning bush, you recall? God says, I want you to go into Egypt, and I want you to lead my people out of Egypt. And uh, Moses started his reasons why he doesn't think he's the man for the job. There's quite a lengthy chapter on his reasons why. And one of them was, uh, Lord, um, what if they don't believe me? I've got to go talk to Israelites. They've been in bondage in Egypt for 400 years. What if they don't believe me when I say I have been sent to bring you out of Egypt? You remember what God told him to do? He says, see that staff in your hand? Throw it down on the ground. What happened? Turned into a serpent, right? A snake. And then he said, now pick it back up. <laughs> That's where I would have had trouble. <laughs> pick it back up. He picks it up and what's it do? Turns back into the staff again. Okay. We call that a miracle, don't we? It's a sign. He says, okay, uh, take your hand, put it inside your robe, and pull it back out. What happened? It turned white like this. It was leprous. Ah, that's not a good thing. But it was amazing. And he says, now take the hand, put it back in your robe, pull it back out. What did you find? Back to normal. Relief. There's another sign. Other things that Moses were, was to do while he was there. Signs to make the message believable. Gideon was told that God would give him victory over the Midianites. Good old Gideon said, okay, Lord, I think I believe you, but you can help me a little bit with this. I'm going to set out a, a, some fleece tonight. And it's going to lay here on the ground. And when I get up in the morning, I want the fleece to be wet and the ground to be completely dry around it. And in the morning, sure enough, fleece was wet, the ground was dry. But Gideon must have thought that, well, that wasn't quite a full-scale miracle. It was kind of a miracle, almost a, just to, let's do the opposite. That sounds even more miraculous. So he says, this time, Lord, I'm going to leave the fleece on the ground, and I want the fleece to be completely dry, and I want the ground to be wet all around it. Did the Lord do that too? Yes, he did. Now, that's a better miracle, isn't it? If you want better miracles, that was pretty significant. Hezekiah. Hezekiah was told one day by the Lord that uh, uh, he would add 15 years onto his life. And to support it, God gave him another miracle. And the miracle was that the sun, the shadow and the sun, backed up 15 steps. It wasn't supposed to go that direction, but it did. If you ever wanted a miracle to support something you thought you needed to do, something you needed to believe, Oh, I know. We're not going to have you confess this morning. No raising of hands or anything. But maybe once or twice you might have thought, Lord, you know, 
I could believe this more if you just do something special. I won't tell anyone. Uh, you always have to add that part, just so it's, it's a secret, right? But, Lord, I, I won't tell anyone, but, you know, a sign would sure help me today to choose what am I to do. What do I do? If, if, it's, if it's your will, if this is where you want me to go, if this is what you want me to believe, if this is what you Lord, give me some sort of a sign to help. Now, whatever we're looking for, we're looking for a miracle. Because you just don't want the everyday thing, do you? Because then you spend the rest of the day wondering if that was really a true sign or not. And then it adds frustration to it all anyway. So, uh, we said, Lord, just something very unusual to happen. And then I'll believe you. What did John just say about signs? Jesus performed many signs in the presence of his disciples, didn't he? Let me tell you what else Jesus said about signs. Go over with me to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. Handful of verses, 39 is a good place to start. I'll actually start in verse 38. Matthew 12, 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign. Now that's not very complimentary, is it? An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign. It is very accurate. You see, an unbelieving heart would desire a sign. If it was believing, would it need a sign? No. But because it's not believing, it asks for the sign. It asks for the sign. The reason we seek the sign is because we don't believe the words. We want those words supported somehow with a sign. Yeah, how often did they ask for a sign? They were shown a sign, and still they did not believe. It says Jesus did many signs, right? Many signs. We could go through the record of Scripture and find all the signs, but what John says, there were many more signs besides those that Jesus did. He kept showing them, and kept showing them, and kept showing them. And still they did not believe. Even the resurrection is a sign. It is a miracle, isn't it? Jesus goes on to say in this very passage you're looking at, yet no sign will be given to it, no sign will be given to it, but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of of the sea monster, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. What was he talking about? Is Jesus going to be swallowed by a whale? No. What's he talking about? His own burial, right? His death, his burial. 
you know, he even gave it limitations. He assigned days to it, didn't he? Three days. Three nights. He assigned it very accurately. He was talking about his death and about his resurrection. And that was assigned to them. It was assigned to them for them to believe. Perhaps of all signs, resurrection from the dead was among the most difficult to believe. You can see a lot of things happen. But remember this uh, story that Jesus told about a poor man named Lazarus and a rich man. And they both had died and, and Lazarus was in paradise and the rich man was in torment and the rich man kept asking for things from torment. He wanted Lazarus just to dip his finger in water and touch his tongue. Now, I don't know how long that would actually satisfy a person, but probably not much. But he did go on to say, in the midst of the conversation, he says, well, this place is absolute torment, and I know I'm here, and I can't do a thing about it, but maybe, maybe, Lazarus, if you go back, if you go back, and he said these words, for I have five brothers, five brothers, and in order that you may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham speaks up for Lazarus and he says, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And the man, the rich man says, no, no, Father Abraham, but if somebody goes to them from the dead, then they'll repent. You know, that's a big one, right? Big sign. Somebody comes back from the dead. You know, as Jesus was telling this story, I, I wonder if we could have seen his face, if he might have smiled just a little bit with the thought. Not only was he going to himself die and rise again, and there will be so many who won't believe, even with that great thing, but also hear how the people of this world think that, well, if somebody should rise from the dead, that will get everyone's attention. And the answer to the rich man was, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone should rise from the dead. The words of Jesus. Hmm. You know, he's so merciful. <laughs> he understood that the disciples did not believe. He did many signs, remember? Many signs, he tells us. He performed in the presence of the disciples, which were not written in this book. One of the clearest examples of, of these signs is right here in the book of John, where we just read these words. In John chapter 20, back all the way up to verse 24, you remember this. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, here's the words, We have seen the Lord. And he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails, and put my finger in the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I 
will not believe. He had to have proof, didn't he? Sometimes I jokingly say, he must be from Missouri. Show it to me, right? The show me state. Prove it to me. Here he says, prove it to me. He wasn't convinced by the words. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the door having been shut, locked. Jesus came, stood in their midst, and said, Peace be with you. And he says to Thomas, that's, that's great, isn't it? <laughs> he wasn't there when Thomas had said all these things. But he walks into the room and he says, Thomas! And he looks right at him and he says, Thomas, come here. Come here. Reach here your finger and see my hands. And reach here your hand and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Hmm. This little quote I found uh, from D.L. Moody, I thought this was fascinating. It has always been a mystery to me why every disciple of Jesus Christ who was anywhere near Jerusalem was not at the sepulcher on the morning of the third day after the crucifixion. Over and over again, he told them that he would arise. One of the last things he said to them as they were on their way to the Mount of Olives was, after that I have risen, I will go before you into Galilee. But there was not one solitary passage that tells us that they had any expectation of his resurrection. It seems as if his enemies had better memory than his friends. When Jesus' body was laid away in the tomb, the Jews went to Pilate and wanted him to make it secure because they said, We remember that deceiver who said, While he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. The enemies believed it. The disciples did not. What would it take to convince you that Jesus rose from the dead? What would it take to convince me that Jesus rose from the dead? Here it says that he did many signs. The disciples needed signs. And he did many signs, many signs, many signs. But what did the signs bring? Belief? No. John doesn't finish there. He says in verse 31, But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. These have been written. Where? Where? In the Bible. The Word of God, right? These have been written. Why? That you may believe. Believe what? This is too hard, isn't it? Eight o'clock in the morning. Ooh, that's tough. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Do you believe that? What's it based on? A sign you've seen? 
or the word that you read. Even though you've never been to the tomb, you weren't there on that day, were you? No. Maybe you've gone and visited that place. They said, this is where the tomb is traditionally. Did that change anything for you? You were there? Probably not. What's the result of believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? What's it say? That by believing you may have life in His name. I've heard people say it before. I wish I was there when Jesus rose from the dead. Do you realize how blessed you are that you weren't there? That you weren't there? Jesus says these words. These words. After Thomas said, my Lord and my God, he says, in verse 29, he says, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. Peter, of course, he's always got wonderful things to say in his epistles, lines up beautifully with his uh, experiences with Christ. And what he said were these words, and I'll read them to you. First Peter chapter 1, starting in verse number 8. He says, And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. That amazed Peter to think of, of believers that he was writing to and ministering to who had never seen Christ, and they loved him. They weren't there at the transfiguration. They weren't there when he calmed the sea. They weren't there when he raised Lazarus. They weren't there in the upper room. They weren't there when he came back from the dead. They didn't see any of that, and they believed it. And that's amazing to Peter as he's writing. He even goes on to say later in in his second book, he says, I was there at the transfiguration, and I saw his glory. But you had something more sure than that experience. You have the written word of God. And here he's saying, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. As to the salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. And it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Angels. Long to look. The, the phrase long to look, angels will stoop down to get a better look. That's the Greek idea here, stooping down. And it always reminds me of the picture of the tomb where, where uh, Peter and John come running to the tomb, and, and John was quicker, and he gets there first, and he stops, remember? And he's on the outside, and Peter just 
right through, passed into the tomb and such, and they're looking at the grave clothes. But the picture with that, and also the ladies that came, they were all like this. They're all stooping to look inside that tomb. See what's in there. Angels stoop to look. Now, that's amazing to me when I think of angels. Angels who have seen the glory of the Lord. Angels who have stood in His presence. Angels who have announced His birth. Angels sitting on the stone when the, the, the ladies come to the tomb and angels reporting the message. Yet they seek to know. They seek to see it. Peter, he's a disciple and he was there. He ran to the tomb. He ran into the tomb. He saw Jesus in the upper room and he turns and says, And you are blessed for not being there and still believing. And still believing. Think of the advantage you have here today. You think it's a disadvantage? It was so long ago we weren't there. That's not a disadvantage for faith. What a better faith, what a stronger faith it is that can believe without the sign. Without the need for the sign. You have an advantage over the disciples. You have an advantage over the angels. In so many ways, you have an advantage over the angels. One thing I always think about angels is they can stand before the throne of God and sing holy, holy, holy all day long. And yet they could never say thank you. But you can. We have the record. We have the word of God. We believe it is true. We have set our faith upon it. Jesus Christ is risen from the grave. Jesus Christ is alive today. Jesus Christ is alive forever. He is with us now, and we shall be with Him when He comes for us forever. Do we believe all that? Sue does. We believe that. Why? Because we saw a sign? Because we went to an empty tomb? Or because we believe the Word of God? It's been written. These are written that you might believe. You believe that this morning? It's because it's been written that we might believe it. What an advantage we have today. What a blessing we have today. We are blessed for believing it. He is risen, Scripture says. We believe it. That's why we're here this morning. We rejoice in a risen Savior. Let us worship that way throughout our day. Let us remember and be thankful and realize how blessed we are that we know Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. Heavenly Father, again, thank you for your word. We are so completely dependent upon it. Uh, maybe up to this moment we didn't realize it. But because of your graciousness, you have recorded the words so that we can see it. The flower will fade and fall off, but the word of, the gods, of our God stands forever. And here we have it in front of us today. We read these words and we're brought back to the, the story of the resurrection of Christ. And we are excited about it because we believe it. 
And your word has said it. And we thank you, Lord, for it. Today we give all glory and honor, praise and worship to our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is risen indeed. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done for us. Thank you for putting up with our unbelief. Thank you for listening to our our feebleness in prayer. Thank you for understanding when we seek signs. You see, Lord, that we need our faith strengthened. And it's your word that does that. Drive us to your word today, we pray. That we might be strengthened, that our faith might be strong, that your praise might go forth. In Jesus' name, amen.